promise that it's not me, it's, it's you. So God, we want to honor you and give glory to you today. We want to praise your glorious grace. We want to lift your name high. We come to you in humility. We come to you to learn. We come to you to mourn. We come to you for comfort. There are things, God, that we need to see today, things that we need to know, things about us that we don't know, that we need to know, things that you want to heal, things that you want to cleanse us of, things that you want to comfort us through. So God, my prayer this morning is that we would all have a posture of humility, a posture where we're moldable and shapeable. You would remove the distractions, God. You are all we need to hear right now. Your voice is the most important thing that we need to hear. So open our hearts and open our minds. Teach us what you would will, what you will. In Jesus' name. And God, also as we, as we gather and we think about our middle schoolers and high schoolers and the week that they're going to have as they loaded up on buses this morning and many of us watched and prayed and waved and cried and wished them farewell to their summer camp. My prayer, God, this morning is that you would meet them there that it would be you that they would encounter, not just fun stuff and games and hanging out with their friends, but they would have an encounter with the Almighty God and that you would grab a hold of their heart and that you would open it and God, just empower the, the speakers and the pastors and the cabin counselors and everyone, God, that is serving there, that you would empower them and give them the grace they need to be a part of their, the students' discipleship. So, Father, go before them on their week and glorify yourself in them for their glory or for your glory, their joy, and our joy this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well. My name is... Matt Pearson, I'm one of the pastors here at Golden Hills. I oversee um, small groups, connecting, and care and counseling and some other things. <clears throat> it's an honor for me to be here this morning and to bring God's word to you. It really is something um, none of us take lightly to, to preach and to teach. It's a huge responsibility a lot of prayer goes into this. I'm very excited about this series, um, the Beatitudes. And I want you to notice um, that the Beatitudes are something that is happening right after our series with the union with Christ. There's some strategy there. Before we jump into that, just did, did want to mention two announcements today. Keep, well, three actually, if you want to keep praying for the kids up at the camp, but... 
Uh, there is another <clears throat> event happening toward the end of the month for our young adult ministry called Kairos. Uh, they're going to be gathering at Heather Farms. That's out in Walnut Creek, really fun place to gather there on June 25th. It's a 6.30, 9.30. Looks like they're going to be able to see the sunset out there. So they're going to gather out there for a park and hang out. Afterwards, they're going to get some dessert together. So June 25th, young adults, 630 to 9.30 out in Heather Farms. And also wanted to mention, Pastor Bo wanted me to mention, uh, Phil talked about it a little bit last week, but Golden Hills has been invited by our ministry partners in Chad to send a team of volunteers who can help during their area retreat. That's the last week in January next year. So they've actually asked us to send around 10 people to minister to the kids during the retreat. There will be a short information session for anyone who might be interested today after the service. That's going to be in the go room. So right out that door, right over there, there's uh, room 131, I think it is. Uh, it's called the go room. If you have any questions, you can see Bo in there. You'll, I'm sure you have a lot of questions. If you're interested in doing something like that, that's going to be a big deal, right? Going to Chad in January. Yeah, that's a big deal. So they're going to be having an info meeting right after this service. So go ahead and join them for that. As I mentioned, we are going to continue in our series through the Beatitudes. It's in Matthew chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you want to turn there. Um, just by way of review, and it's a very important review, <clears throat> we do not want to miss this, um, the context with which we read the Beatitudes and the context with Jesus presented the Beatitudes and um, how we receive it and what we do with it. It's incredibly important. Phil mentioned this again last week that there was a strategy in placing the, this, the sermon series on the Beatitudes directly after the sermon series on union with Christ. Because the one, the Beatitudes, comes out of our union with Christ. Why is that important? Because what we don't want to do as we look at these Beatitudes is walk out of here thinking, okay, that's something I need to do, right? I need to be poor in spirit. I need to mourn. I need to be meek. I need to be pure in heart. So Pastor Matt, give me the, the six steps to mourning. And we're not going to do that today. There are some steps, but it's not what you think, hopefully. No, it's important to understand that being united with Christ, being one with Jesus, he and us, us and him, by virtue of that, uh, the Beatitudes are these characteristics that are naturally going to flow out of that. If we reverse that, we turn it into performance Christianity. What I need to do to develop these characteristics in Christ, we don't want to do that. It's incredibly important. These, uh, these characteristics that we see in the Beatitudes, God produces in us as a result of our being united with Christ. It's not the other way around. Because I think a lot of us slip into this trap of thinking there's something I need to do to either be united with Christ or maintain my unity with Christ. That's performance Christianity. It's a trap. It's a heavy burden. to It's impossible. You can't do it. Neither can I. As we look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we see a very powerful passage that should answer the question, 
How did I get into Christ, right? And what's going on with me being in Christ? Paul writes, for our sake, for our sake, he, Jesus, made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, there's that phrase again. By the way, now that we went through that Union with Christ series, how many times have you seen when you read the Bible, in him, in Christ, in Christ, I mean, it's everywhere, right? It's really cool. In him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. We become the righteousness of God. We don't get righteous to get into Christ. On that note, we didn't do anything to be united with Christ. We were dead. God wasn't even on our radar. I know that a popular view of this is I need to clean up my act and get my life together so that I can be presentable, so that I can be united. No. That's works-based theology. That's a works-based salvation. That's a man-centered salvation. We were dead in our trespasses. and We needed to be rescued, right? We were rescued from the dominion of darkness. That word dominion means total domination. There's no way out. We were in the dark. We didn't know our predicament. God had to come in there, open our eyes, rescue us, and bring us into his kingdom. He brought us into union with Christ. And then by virtue of being united with Christ, you know what he wants to do? He wants to develop these characteristics in us. Amen? Very important that we don't flip that around. It's the spirit that's developing these characteristics. That's another blessing, another result of being united with Christ. Ephesians 1 uh, says, in him, again, in him. Hey, there it is again. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, all happening in Christ, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We receive the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit indwells the li- in the life and the heart of a believer because they're united with Christ. Right? And it's the spirit that's producing the fruit. It's the spirit that's producing these characteristics, Galatians 5. But the fruit or the result of the spirit, what is he doing in there? He's producing fruit like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It's not us, right? Do you get that? so important because we're going to be in the series for a while and we just wanted to reiterate that point you're united with Christ or I should say if you're united with Christ that God is in the business of developing these characteristics so each of the beatitudes as we move forward last week we talked about poor in the spirit this week we're going to talk about mourning each of these beatitudes addresses a specific attitude of our heart Pastor Phil talked last week about being poor in the spirit. Who are the poor in the spirit? Remember that? Those who realize and confess they have nothing to offer God, spiritually speaking, right? I just talked about this. We we got nothing. We're bringing nothing. Pastor Poe mentioned, I think, a few weeks ago, the only thing we brought into this relationship was the sin that needed to be atoned for. 
I know that's hard to hear, but it puts us in a posture of humility. In fact, humility is the one characteristic that you're going to see like threaded through all of these Beatitudes. Humility. What an unpopular concept in our day and age, in our culture. The poor in spirit are those who realize and confess they have nothing to offer God. You remember Job? Guy that had everything taken away, suffered tremendous amounts of pain, loss, lost his kid. I mean, it was, it was a lot to bear. And in, in all of his dealings with his friends and his interactions with God, he slipped into that prideful state. He slipped out of humility and into pride. And he started thinking, you know, I, I, think, I, I think I know what God was doing with this, right? He was trying to figure out, what, why am I suffering so much? What's going on here? He's trying to figure all that out instead of just accepting it for what it was. And not only that, he started to justify, look, look, I'm not such a bad guy. And God rebuked Job in, a, in actually a beautiful discourse reminding Job of who God is and who Job is, right? And in that moment when Job realized what he'd done, like he's counseling God almost, he has this moment of clarity in Job 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. This, this is Job getting to that place of reality. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I didn't understand. There's a confession there. I didn't know what I was talking about. I don't think we ever do that, right? Try to counsel God. I uttered things I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Here and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stop telling you how to run the universe. Make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And you know what happens when the eyes of a human being see a holy God for who he is? Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's the poor in spirit. Someone who realizes that God is God and I am not and takes on and assumes that posture of humility. That's a good thing, by the way, to be in this place of realizing that we're poor in spirit. That's a good thing. It's a good place to be if, you, if you're in relationship with God, right? It's a good, healthy place to be. Why? Because God blesses those who are broken, those who are crushed, those who are poor in spirit. God is attentive to those in that posture. Psalm 34 picks up on this. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. Remember, how did we obtain our righteousness? It's Christ's righteousness, right? By the way, they call that the great exchange. When we were brought into union with Christ, God exchanged our sinfulness with Christ's righteousness. 
Who made out on that deal, right? We did. So now we're in Christ with his righteousness. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, those who are in Christ, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Prideful. I can do this. I don't need God, right? He's against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. But when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. This posture of humility, this posture of being poor in spirit, it's a beautiful place to be. Because God hears us when we cry out. He delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord, what a beautiful passage this is. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And saves the crushed in spirit. What an amazing truth. What a polar opposite from the culture that we live in that, no, 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 we've got to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We've got to figure this thing out. We've got to go out and dial this in. We've got to make a life for ourselves. We've got to make a name for ourselves. We have a name, right? We have his name. We're united with him. We're in Christ. We are covered in his righteousness. And part of that posture is to recognize and realize my position. God's in control. I submit to him. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. I mentioned earlier that humility is this attitude that's, pre, that's all over all of these characteristics. Jesus tried to point this out to the disciples. Man, those disciples early on, they weren't very humble guys, were they? They had a long way to go. We have a long way to go. And one particular time, the disciples were huddling up. Jesus must have went, I wonder what's going on over there. <laughs> now, he knew what was going on. They're huddling up trying to figure out which one of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, right? Can you imagine how that went? Well, it's me. Well, why is it you? It should be me. Well, what about me? Let's ask Jesus, right? The disciples came to Jesus and they said, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus. I was, he is so awesome, right? This is just vintage Jesus. He goes, hey, bring that little kid, that little three or four-year-old kid over here, right? Bring him over here. He set, probably set him on his lap, right? He set him up for all the disciples and he says, he called him a child and he put him in the midst of them and he said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you're not even gonna enter the kingdom of God, A, and whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever humbles himself like this little child, kids are humble, right? I mean, they grow up. I'll give you that. I have a grandson that I spend a lot of time with, and I just... He's just amazing, right? But I'm seeing the transition, right? I'm seeing this transition. There was a time when he was just humble. He, what do I mean by that? He just wasn't worried about what anyone else was thinking. He just wasn't really concerned with that. It wasn't even on his radar. He could run through the house naked, right? Didn't even care. Doesn't matter. Doesn't even, even if a stranger's there, right? From the bath to the bedroom, going crazy, screaming. Doesn't matter, he has that attitude like, I don't know that you're looking at me, right? But he started like transitional kindergarten last year and I already started to see this, this, this change happening. 
about wondering and worrying about what other people are thinking, right? He's five. Comes home and he wants to bring a present to this girl, this other student, right? Wants to be nice to her. We're like, okay, I guess. I guess. So, he, so he does that. Next day he comes home, he wants to bring 20 presents because he must have got some mileage out of that gift and he's thinking, man, I can get this whole class to like me. So we had to have a talk. First of all, we don't have 20. He's going through his toy box. No, no, no. So it's already happening. Do you see? It's this concern. This pride begins to set in, right? That I need people to like me. I need people to define me. I need people to think I'm okay, so I got to do these things for these people, right? Another time, um, he accidentally kind of locked himself in his closet. He went in there, turned out all the lights. I think he was trying to see a a glow-in-the-dark Spider-Man or something, but the doorknob was sticky and he couldn't get out. And it was pitch dark. And he's, we're downstairs. He's screaming at the top of his lungs. His mom goes in there, opens that door, brings him out. And he latches onto her neck like, I'm never letting go for the rest of me. He was scared, right? Why did Jesus choose a kid to represent humility? Because in his humble state, he's totally dependent on us. And when he is alone in the dark and the darkness is crashing in on him, he's crying out, come and save me, come and rescue me. That's the posture of the humble. I I can't do this. I need help. Come and help me. It's a little kid. Again, he'll grow up and try to figure all that out. But I hope he never grows up beyond his need for God. It's a good place to be, brothers and sisters, humble. It's a good place to be in a relationship with the God that we have. Can I I just say that God doesn't need my help with things, but what he wants is me. He He wants to develop me, he wants to love me. He wants to change me. He wants to cleanse me, and you as well. It's a good place to be, this state of humility. How do I know? How do you know if I'm poor in spirit? I'll tell you one way. You will experience mourning. You will feel mourning. Okay? Nobody likes to mourn, right? So this is one of those countercultural, upside-down things that you find in the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, right? We'll get to the comfort. But the path to the comfort is mourning. How do I know if I'm poor in the spirit? I am feeling, I am experiencing deep mourning. Okay, we know what mourning is. You know what mourning is. It's that feeling of regret or remorse. It's sadness. It's sorrow. It's grief. Over what? For many of us, it's the loss of something that we care about. 
We feel sadness, we feel grief, we feel sorrow because we lost something that was near to us that we loved and we feel that. That grief is a gift from God. It's okay to feel that mourning, to feel that pain. We can mourn over the sins against our brothers and sisters. How many of us have relationships with other Christians and something happens and it's devastating? Remember Stephen in the book of Acts? What an awesome, what an awesome example of a humble guy, right? He was loved by the other brothers and sisters. He took on the ministry of making sure that the widows and the poor were well cared for and fed. I mean, he's just a humble guy. And he gets stoned. He gets killed for standing up for the truth and for Jesus. And devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. It affected the whole church community. They lamented because they suffered a tremendous loss. That can happen to us. We can mourn over the sins of injustice or oppression in our world. Good night. You don't even have to turn on the news. Nobody wants to turn on the news anymore, right? We see this mass destruction. We, we, we just see these mass killings, especially when it's the little ones, right? And it's just, it's gut-wrenching. And then we see a mom or a dad just just on screen, on the camera. They're, they're thousands of miles away, but they're, they're, there they are, the mom and the dad, suffering the grief of the loss of their child. And we feel that. Or not like them, obviously, but we connect with that. We know mourning. We feel it when we turn on the TV and see an entire country overtaken by some other country who could care nothing about human life. Just because they want it. And we see those images and we see those graphics and we feel, we've never met any of those people. We've never been there, but we feel that because we mourn. Basically, we mourn over everything that God mourns over. And that's a good thing. But here Jesus is talking about mourning over our condition of being poor in spirit. It's different. It's trickier. I've really had to examine my own life this week because when it comes to my sin, I mourn over that, but sometimes that mourning is just because I thought I was better than that. I fail, I sin, I have a bad attitude, whatever. And my first thought is, I failed again, man. I thought I was further along than that. Didn't I just do this one? Who's that about? That's about me. I mean, I regret choices I've made. I'm basically mourning over my performance, right? My Christian performance. But that's not the kind of mourning that Jesus is talking about. Well, what is Jesus talking about? The Bible tells us the kind of mourning that God blesses. Blessed are those who mourn. What kind of mourning are we talking about? Perfect example of this is King David. 
And we know the story of what happened to him. I mean, many things happened to him, but one in particular was the time that he committed adultery. And to cover that adultery up, he basically murdered Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. How could a guy, a man after God's own heart, what, what, this is, doesn't make any sense, right? And by the way, that whole process must have taken months, right? To get from sleeping with Bathsheba to her getting pregnant to him concocting some ridiculous plan to, make, to kill Uriah or to br- first bring him home and get him to sleep with his wife so that the baby that he impregnated her with, she would think it was her. I mean, it's crazy stuff. How can a man after God's own heart do that? That's what I kept asking, right? I'll, I'll answer that in a minute. He basically sets Uriah up to die in the, on the field, to die in battle. So he commits adultery, he lies. I mean, you just name it. Come up with the 100 most grievous sins, and he probably did every single one of those in those two things. And he still couldn't hear God. God's like, okay, <laughs> this isn't good. I, I don't know how God was trying to get his attention, but David was so in denial, he was so shut down, he couldn't hear it, couldn't see it. So God, as he often does with me, maybe he does with you, he has to send somebody to rebuke David. And this person's name was Nathan, a prophet Nathan. So Nathan shows up to call out David on these sins. Here's what Nathan says to David. Speaking for God. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? To what is evil in his sight? To do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. This is God speaking to You despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. First of all, Nathan's like, okay, this is probably the last thing I'm ever going to say because he's probably going to cut off my head. I mean, you just don't waltz into the king's chambers and call him out like this. But God said, do it, and he did it, right? But did you pick up on what God was trying to communicate to David about his sin? You despised my word, and if that's not bad enough, you despised me. Again, how can this man be a, man's af- a man after God's own heart? I'll tell you. Because David's response indicates that he was a man after God's own heart. The first words out of his mouth following this rebuke is, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against, well, you sinned against Bathsheba, you sinned against Uriah, what about their parents? He had to deal with all of that, but David realized, I have sinned against God. My sin is against a holy God. 
I have affected a whole lot of people, but first and foremost, I have sinned against God. I have despised God. I have had contempt for his word. It's like I don't even care. And he was crushed, and he experienced mourning, and he wrote about this mourning in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. David's first response wasn't, you know what? I probably need to beef up my accountability. I think I'm going to add a few more guys to my accountability list because I, I probably shouldn't be committing adultery. I probably shouldn't be lying. I probably shouldn't be killing people. So in order for me to get it right next time, I think I need to follow these six steps so that I... No, he didn't do that. He realized that he sinned against God and the next thing he does, he goes to God. And how often we don't go to God, maybe because we don't know what he's going to do. This is what David understood because he was a man after God's own heart. Have mercy on me, God, according to your steadfast love. He's not, he is not calling on his own ability to get himself out of this situation. He's calling on the character of God, that he's a merciful God, and that his love is steadfast, that his love didn't cease because he sinned. He's calling on that. You might think, this guy's got a lot of audacity to come before God, but this is what God blesses. This is what God wants from us. First of all, we are going to fail, maybe not to the degree that David did, but we sin every day. That's what it means to be poor in the spirit. And what God wants us to do is to come before him and to call on his steadfast love, not to try harder and to vow that I'm gonna do better next time. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. He's calling on God's forgiveness and God's mercy to forgive his offenses. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. That is a man who is poor in spirit. Is he perfect? Are you kidding me? We've established that, right? He's a sinner. But what he does with his sin is not makes vows in his pride to try harder, but he humbles himself before God and just calls on God's love and mercy. That, that's what we can do. That's all we can do. And David understood that. And it raises the question, how do we respond? A, if someone rebukes us. I know how I do. I, I want to justify myself. I go in defense mode. Or blame shifting. Or just something to defend myself. And what David did is, I have no defense. I've sinned against God and I'm crying on God to defend me. I sinned against the one that I'm now asking to defend me. Is that awesome? I mean, it's not awesome that he sinned, but it's awesome that we have a God like that. Amen? Someone might say, Matt, you just give, give, gave everyone the license to sin. I did not do that. 
First of all, you're going to sin. I don't have to give you the license to sin. What I'm hoping is that you realize to, to come out of denial that you're a sinner and that you sin and what to do with it is to come before God to receive mercy and grace in your time of need. That's what we need to do. That's the step. See, I made it easy. It's not six, it's one. Yes, there are things that David's gonna need to do to change his behavior. Yes, there are things that we need to do. Absolutely, 100%. But it starts by coming back to God. It starts by making a move toward him, not making a move away from him. Peter understood this as well. And like David, it took Peter a while to figure this out. It's a story in Luke chapter five. This is before Peter was commissioned by Jesus. It was, Peter was still a fisherman. It's what he was doing every single day. He's probably really good at it, right? One day Jesus is teaching, he's, he's in Peter's boat, borrowed Peter's boat, right? Teaching the crowd on the beach. And when he's done teaching, when he had finished speaking, he says to Simon, Peter, hey, Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon's like, okay, I've been at this all night. I haven't caught anything. And by the way, it's the middle of the day. There's no fish in the middle of the day. It's boiling hot. All the fish are at the bottom of the lake, but that's okay. You didn't know that, Jesus. Okay. It would be kind of stupid for me to go fish right now. Plus, there's all these people on the beach. If they say, see me start fishing in the middle of the day, I'm going to look like a, like a dope. That's what's going on inside Simon, right? He answered, Master, we toiled all night. Took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when he had done this, so I guess to give for Peter's credit, he, he did it anyway. He didn't want to, but he did it anyway. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners and the other boats to come and help them. And they came, filled both boats so that they began to sink, right? Could you see this scene? There's multiple boats with so much fish. They're tilting over, water's coming into the boat, there's fish flopping everywhere. I mean, it's a, it's a mayhem, people are screaming, the boats are sinking, and in the middle of all this, when Simon Peter saw it all, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, oh Lord. What happened? In an instant, Peter saw Jesus for who he was, the Lord of creation, the Lord of everything, and he realized who he was. I was given fishing instructions to the one who could make 100 million fish if he wanted to at the snap of his finger. And he realized that's what happens when we come into the presence of Christ, when we come and we see his glory, we see him for who he is, and naturally we see us for who we are, and we hit the deck and we bow down in humility, we realize we're poor in spirit, we feel that overwhelming sorrow, we feel that mourning, and we're at the mercy of God. And I want you to see something else in this moment that happened to Peter, right here in the text. 
When Peter was in Peter mode, barking out orders, telling the creator of the universe how to fish, when he was doing the Peter thing, look who Jesus was to him in verse 5. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night. That word master can just mean like superintendent or overseer, kind of like your boss, right? I can see that you have some authority. You're pretty popular around here, so I should do this. I really should do this. You're a decent teacher. I'm going to do it. So he's the, Jesus is his master, his overseer, his boss, his superintendent. Look what happens at the bottom of, Jesus, of Peter's boat in the midst of the fish guts and the old fish hooks and all the grime and all the slime at the bottom of the boat. Peter's boat, by the way. That was his domain. That was his turf, right? He's bowing down to Jesus at the bottom of his boat. And he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Do you know what that word Lord means? One to whom a person belongs. He realized and recognized that this God of the universe owns me. He can do anything he wants. He's not my boss, right? It's a shift in the relationship. It's, it's now a commitment. It's now total submission. And how often we have our boats, our jobs, our portfolios, our families, our houses, whatever your boat is that we want to, to control, that we don't want to give to Jesus, that we don't trust that Jesus is going to do what needs to be done, and we're hanging on to that thing. And what God wants to do is to reveal himself to you, to reveal his glory to you, that he is the Lord, that he desires you, that he bought you, Right? That he's not just over you, lording it over you, telling you what to do, or the, the other shoe's going to drop if you're not hurt. No, that's not the relationship we have with God. He is our Lord. He bought us. He purchased us. He owns us in the most beautiful, incredible way that a person can be in that kind of a relationship. Because we can trust him. How do I know we can trust him? Because at the bottom of the boat, Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, Peter. You're in a perfect place right now. I can do something with you, Peter. When you're in Peter, no, Peter mode, I can't do anything. When you're in this mode, when you're bowing down to me, when you've surrendered your life to me, when you've given me your boat, when you realize and recognize who I am, I can do something with you, Peter. You're humble, you're moldable, you're shapeable. And God doesn't leave us at the bottom of our boat. He doesn't get us down there so that he can abuse us. He gets us in that posture of humility so he can use us. He wants to use us. He wants to include us in the advancement of his kingdom. It's mourning with a purpose. Amen? It's not just so that we can grovel and he can say, I'm better than you. He's not like that. But we need to see him for who he is and, and surrender our heart to him and go through that experience of mourning 
so that he can take us then from the bottom of the boat, so he can shape and take us. Look what happened to Peter. Don't be afraid. Guess what, Peter? From now on, you'll be catching men because there's a whole bunch of people out there just like you. And I'm gonna use you now because you're submitted to me to advance my kingdom, to advance my message. And when they had brought their boats to land, guess what? They left everything and followed him because that's what has to happen to follow Jesus. Seeing our sin leads to mourning. Sometimes for us to see our sin, God might have to send somebody because we can't see it, we can't hear him. Might have to send a Nathan, man, I know this is hard, I know this is hard. Might reveal himself to you in such a way, if you're seeking the Lord, be prepared to have your sin Come, become front and center but that is a good thing brothers and sisters because God wants to cleanse it God wants to heal it God wants to grant us repentance so that our heart shifts in our allegiances and we no longer rely on ourselves. we turn to God it's not mourning for no purpose it's not mourning to lord it over us it's mourning so that we can see our sin repent of our sin confess our sin and he can purify us and cleanse us and we can then become the brothers and sisters that God wants us to be. I'm not saying it's easy. But there's hope for the brokenhearted. There's comfort for the brokenhearted. I know what I want to do. I can't be presumptuous to know what you want to do. I just want the comfort, right? I just want to get into a relationship with God and be comfortable all the time. And I'm concerned that there's a lot of gospels like that. It's actually not a gospel. There's a lot of teaching out there that God wants you to be prosperous. God wants you to have all these things. But there's no speak, no mention of sin, no mention of mourning, no mention of repentance, no mention of humility, no mention of any of that. It's just you become a Christian and then you get everything you ever dreamed. That is not the message that Jesus was teaching. The message that Jesus was teaching is you come into relationship with God because he rescued you and brought you in there and that begins a process of repentance and sanctification and purification where he shows us our sin, we see it, we confess it, we fall at his feet in humility, we realize that we're poor in spirit, we experience that mourning, that conviction and we spend time with God, we come back to him for his mercy for his grace, for his love, and then God leads us into an amazing comfort that there is not a, a thing this world could, could even compare to, the comfort that comes from God. But yet we try, don't we? The world is trying and its system is trying to get us to come to it for comfort. And God says, come to me. I'm gonna blow away everything the world could offer you. So when we mourn, may our first response not be 
to find comfort from the world or to try harder, because that, that's what that is. It's me vowing to be better is me trying to find comfort in what? In me. I'm the one that got me into this mess in the first place. Doesn't that sound crazy? God's like, no, you're, you're not going to find comfort in doing a better job next time. You're going to find comfort in coming to me. That word comfort can be an encouragement. That word comfort can be consoled. That's what we want when we mess up. That's what we want when we fail again and again and again is for someone to say it's okay, for someone to say I got you, for someone to say you matter to me. That's what we want. For someone to encourage and console, to give refreshment, to provide solace. And that's what Jesus Christ brings to us, brothers and sisters, amen? But the path to this comfort is a path through mourning. It's a path through grieving. I want to read for us, I'm going to go back and read Ephesians 1. This ought to sound very familiar because we spent six weeks looking at Ephesians 1. Listen to this in the context of finding comfort from God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is what Christ has done for us. When we fail again and again and again, we can find comfort when we're reminded of what Christ has accomplished for us, right? What he has done for us. He has blessed us in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, there it is again, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Do you see one after another, after another, after another, the spiritual blessings that have been stowed upon us by our being united with Christ. He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Did you hear that? Go back to that. When you failed, when I failed, we were reminded we can get comfort in what Christ has done for us. He chose us. He rescued us. He adopted us, not based on our merits, but based on his love. He predestined us. He predetermined that we were going to praise his glorious grace. We, he predetermined that we were going to be holy in his sight. Had nothing to do with what I did. Had everything to do with what Christ did. He redeemed us, forgave us of the penalty of our sin. We're no longer condemned. The message is none of that is in jeopardy because you sin today. This doesn't change because it was never 
dependent on us in the first place. This is set. This is justification. We are forever justified because of what Christ has done. We are in Christ. He brought us in Christ. We don't stay in Christ because we're good people. We stay in Christ because he keeps us and he maintains our salvation. And he promises to cleanse and purify us because we can find comfort not just in what Jesus did, but what he continues to do. Why is that important? Because we continue to sin. Look at 1 John. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Did you catch that? I'm a Christian, but I don't sin. You're calling God a liar. You do sin, but it's okay, right? It's okay. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let me be clear, when we sin, God is going to do something with that. God is going to make some changes in our life. God wants to shift our, the allegiances of our heart to move away from self-reliance and more on relying on him. And our behavior is going to change. And yes, there's going to be some accountability for that. But our first move is back to God to confess those sins, right? We agree with God. You're right. I did that. You're right. I am that. You're right. I love that. And I'm mourning over that. I don't want to love something more than you. And, and when that happens, I can find comfort that I can come to Jesus again and again and again. And he will hear me again and again and again. And he will cleanse me. He will purify me. And he will f- forgive me again and again and again. And may I just say this makes and t- creates a whole different kind of prayer. It's beautiful. It's intimate. Me coming into the presence of God, you coming into the presence of God in all humility, broken, contrite, mourning over what your sin has done to him. And you say to God, I don't despise you, I'm sorry. I know my sin is communicating that I don't want to do that. And Jesus is faithful. Here's a promise from God. He is faithful. He will cleanse us. He promises to grant us repentance. He's going to change our heart. But it starts with seeing my sin coming into his presence, admitting, agreeing, and confessing to God and calling on his mercy. You want your life to change? That's how your life will change. Not trying harder. We can mourn. When we mourn, we can find comfort in what Jesus has done. When we mourn, we can find comfort in what Jesus continues to do. And when we mourn, we can find comfort in what Jesus is going to do. We have to go to Revelation 21, right? We have to go here. We have to. Because this world that we keep bumping into... The sin that we keep struggling with is going to pass away. Amen? 
This was the vision that John had. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. We need a new one because this one stinks. I'm sorry, it stinks, right? It's hard, it's difficult. We're mourning all the time. I'm failing all the time. And Jesus said,